2: Hello and welcome back to Green and White, our weekly Plymouth fan led podcast. Despite no league game this week, we're back to discuss our Papa John's trophy game against Charlton. Look ahead to our Friday night clash with Port Vale. Discuss some Sky Sports revolutionary innovation game. Uh, celebrate the women's side reaching the third round of the FA Cup. A little mention of Chris Waddle. And we'll discuss Argos' table-topping season so far. I'm Aaron, and joining me this week is Joe. Evening, Aaron. And back once again like a renegade master, it's uh, Sam Down.
3: Good evening, everybody.
2: So, uh, let's just get the trophy out of the way nice and early. Uh, Argos are through to the next round of the Papa John's after beating Charlton Athletic 3-2 at Home Park. Goals from Cosgrove and Ennis in the first half, and Caleb Roberts in the second. Edged us past a very youthful-looking addict side. Um, were you surprised of any Schoenrecker's personnel choices on the night? Obviously Cosgrove, Ennis, Mumbert, Randall, who captained the side, all started with Whittaker, Hardy and Edwards all bought on
4: two. Any thoughts on that? Another slice of Papa John's on the pod. Um, yeah. Um, am I surprised by the squad selection? Not really. I think we discussed last week with John that he was somewhat handicapped in the respect that there's that farcical rule that you've got to start five players who finished your last league game or something ridiculous and um there's there was then the alliance league game against swindon on friday i think it was um so i don't think he could have gone too kamikaze with the team um so in relation to who played i probably wasn't surprised um certainly not in the time that the senior players got on the pitch. I mean, what, Mumba got an hour, Randall 75, Cosgrove 68, Ennis got an hour, Miller got a good 45 minutes in. The club are delighted. I'm sure the 1,394 who braved the cold in midweek thoroughly enjoyed their evening and good luck to them.
3: Yeah, I, I was a little I was um hoping to be a weaker team but you know my, my take on this competition is I really I'm not that bothered about doing well in it you know if we can do it without any detriment to the to the league then fine but i you know we've had a lot of injuries lately. Um we, we've had a lot of players who are even if they're not injured are playing at sort of half fitness so I was sort of hoping that it would be a pretty much full youth team but I suppose as Joe said there's reasons why we couldn't really have done that. We didn't want to tie them out ahead of the Friday game even though we lost it anyway. And we didn't want to, um, maybe put too many of them without a guiding hand from the more senior players to sort of help them along. We don't want to sort of throw them into the deep end like that. So I can certainly understand why he picked the team that he did. Um, good for Randall to get a bit of experience captain, captaining, uh, you know, with the captaincy, I should say, he seems a bit of a, a, a leader type of a personality. And he's always very vocal on the pitch and he's a Plymouth boy as well. So it's certainly good to see him get a bit of experience captain, captaining the team also to a win. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm not, not really bothered about the competition. I'm I, I you know, a team like that, that's about as strong as I'd like to ever really see us go. I certainly wouldn't want to see us go much stronger than that in in the next game against Wimbledon, which is gonna be on the thirteenth. Joe's already already mentioned the attendance the other night, but um I'm
2: aware that you're both very principled in your boycotting of the Papa Johns. But should we get to the final, are you going? And if not, why not? I think this will be
3: a, a heated debate, but uh, officially, no. Unofficially, maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's easy to say no. Um, and, and i like to think that if Puss came to the job, I would say no. But uh, there's that little voice saying to me, even if it is a trophy that I think dangerously legitimises the role of uh, beatings in football, even if it's a trophy that I, I've not really cared about all the way through and a trophy that I don't find very meaningful, even taking all that into consideration... If there is a chance to go and watch Argyle at Wembley, and potentially lift the trophy at Wembley, uh, I think as much as my, my kind of uh, principled mind would be telling me, no, don't go, I think my heart would, would find it very hard to resist. So I guess, I guess the fact that I'm already justifying it to myself means I probably would end up going, but we'll see, we'll see. Ho- hopefully we don't get that far, if I'm honest, and it doesn't put me in the position of having to make that decision, but we'll see.
4: John? Um No and no in answer to your two questions. No, I haven't been to a game since it's moved to its current format, and no, I will not be going if we make Wembley. Um, I've been pretty clear on that, that Schumacher accepted it in his interview after Tuesday's game, didn't he? People have their views on the competition. He can understand either side of the argument. I can understand either side of the argument. But I am firmly against the inclusion of B sides or under 23s in this competition and I I don't really get the argument that it gives these young players experience that's what the loan market's for isn't it If, if we're wanting to give these young players experience in senior football just change some of the loan rules get more of them into the system that way I don't understand why we have to include them They've got a Premier League Cup for things like this. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, if, if we're going to change the Football League trophy, why can't we look at expanding it in another way? Bringing, I'd much rather the competition included National League sides than Premier League reserve teams. I yeah. don't think there's any merit in having them in there. Um, I'm sticking to my principles. People will have their views. I haven't actually been to a Football League trophy game, I think, since the night we played Exeter and there was a floodlight failure. The year we actually got promoted under Adams. Um, we played them that year. Or was it the year we got beat at Wembley? It, it, it was actually, we yeah, it was, the, it
3: was the year we got beat at Wembley. We, uh, we beat Exeter and then we... Um, Tanner we rolled one... Round. Yeah, Tanner one-on-one goal. And then we lost 5-3 yeah. to Millwall with one of the best carry goals you'll ever see in your that life. That was right. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I was unable to get to the Millwall game, but I was at the City game and that was the night that Adams came out and said there's a real soul and identity about the football club, which... Subsequently departed four years later with him. Um, Yeah. But it's, you know, I have my views on it. People have their own principles. If people want to go to Wembley, I hope they have a good day out. I'd love the football club to get that far. As much as I don't agree with the competition, and I'm sort of contradicting what I said last week, it would be a good revenue stream for the football club, given we're out of the FA Cup now. But I just don't want us jeopardising our incredibly solid position in the league by doing it.
2: Yeah, agreed. I think for me, I'd go, like, like Sam said, that the opportunity to see us at Wembley and to lift silverware doesn't come around often enough to, to pass it up. I'd, I don't think I'd go if it was against a B team. If it was a uh, Chelsea's under-21s, 23s, whatever it is, absolutely not. We, we, we polled it on Twitter and 67% of people voting yes, which um, shocked me a bit. But in that win, Caleb Roberts became our fifth, youngest goal scorer of all time and a quick quiz for you both the four youngest can you name them well um, one of them
4: i know straight away um uh, that's matt leconte he was the
3: second or third i
4: think third third okay i see your matt leconte and i raise you i mean tyler harvey must be on the list isn't
2: he no he's sixth
3: dan godling
4: yeah he's fourth um if you if you
3: yeah, get
2: the if you get me. the other two, I'll be very surprised. What one? If one of them from the nineties, I think I know who it is. Uh, one's from the third of November, nineteen ninety-eight, and
3: one's the twenty-third of January, nineteen sixty-five. I'm never going to get the one in the sixties. I think I think I might know who the one in the nineties is. Um, because I I remember back in the day when Leconte was playing regularly, he could have broken the record. And I think I remember the name of the person he could have broken. I think it's Wayne Sullivan, is it? No. Damn. No. Lee, no, it's, it's... No, the, the only other one in my mind was Lee Power. I know he was our youngest ever player up to a point. I don't know if he's our youngest ever scorer. So the only other one in my mind was Lee Power. No. no. Darren, Darren Basto and Richard Reynolds. Uh, see, I've heard um... of Darren Basto. I've never heard of Richard Reynolds. So I probably could have got Basto with a bit more time. I would never have got Reynolds.
2: No, with uh, Ben Purrington coming in at 7th. So, that, that, that's, your, that's your seven youngest all covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving on. You've already said uh, we've been drawn at home to AFC Wimbledon. For the game to be played on Tuesday, the 13th of September. <laughs> but with a 7pm kickoff. So, have fun at that. 13 days without a game has obviously come as a welcome break with us with our ever-mounting injury list. A Friday night fixture under the lights sees us take on 10th place Port Vale at Home Park. Simple question. Any thoughts, predictions ahead of the
4: game? I'm not going to get drawn into the trap I was in two weeks ago where I slagged Burton off and said there's no way that we can't lose the game. Um, Let's have it right, straight away. Port Vale are no mugs in this division. Um, I appeared on a um, podcast with Gab Sutton on Twitter about a month ago um, with a Port Vale fan and they just come off the back of a 1-0 defeat at home to Sheffield Wednesday, where the lad who hit it, and the name escapes me at the moment, it was the flukiest goal in the world, and the game was set to be a 0-0. And they'd actually had a good run of results at the time. Um, They have, if you believe um, rumours in newspapers and on social media, former Argyle target Ellis Harrison up front, um... They're a decent side. I think they're making a good fist of it in their first year back in the division. Um, Daryl Clark has his critics. He has his admirers. Um, I mean, I don't think you can ever really knock the job he did at Bristol Rovers from when he went in there. Did he, was he the one who replaced John Ward? He, did he was. Did replace John Ward I, Yeah. I? I, yeah. I think
3: he, he took over for the last maybe month or two of the season, and he did oversee their relegation to the conference. Then he got them... back
4: back to back to back promotions, back in the League One, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did a decent job at the Mem. Um, They're making a good fist of it, but I am putting my green tinted glasses on. We have played nine at home. We have won nine at home. We have played the biggest teams in the division at home. And we have beaten them all. Um, We are coming off the back of a 4-2 derby win at home in the League. We... I'd, I'm not pushing the panic button on the month of November that we've had. Just if we turn up in anywhere near the form we have been at home, I don't think we should have any problems. Um, and here's hoping that some of these injuries come back quickly because we're going to need them as the fixtures are piling up.
3: Yeah, in agreement with Joe, really. I think whenever you're making the prediction, it's, it's hard to look past team who've won nine out of nine at home. Obviously, you know, we all know that run will come to an end eventually. That's just the way football works and the way life works. Nothing lasts forever. But I think if you look at it on a game-by-game basis, you, you would have to say we're favourites for the game. Port Vale are a decent side. You know what you're going to get with a, a Clark side. They're very, very organised, very resilient. They have they've always, almost always have a, a target man of some description up front. They, uh, they defend well. So I think they could make it a tough game for us, very much like... Truth, 3 did that. They made a fight right to the end, and we only got a late winner. Um, I think. I think we'll come through. I think we'll win one nil. We've got to be due a clean sheet. I uh, mentioned in the podcast the other week. We, uh, we we haven't actually had a clean sheet in in quite a while, not in the league. Since today we beat Accrington three 0 That's coming up for two months ago. So I think we're due one, and I think we'll get one. I think it'll be a one nil win with a goal uh, in the second half. Let's say I think we'll take a while to break them down. One little second half winner. Um, our goal to keep the home record going, make it ten out of ten.
4: I was going to say very quickly that this, you know, they've. I think there's less than fifty tickets available for this um, Friday night, and the one hope and fear is is that this big crowd, these crowds that we're getting now, don't get too frustrated if we're struggling in the game. It sort of happened against Shrewsbury and the team came through it. And this is going to be an... I've got a horrible feeling this is going to be almost a carbon copy of that game in the way that game was played out. Port Vale are going to come down. They're going to be compact. As Sam says, under Daryl Clark, sides are organised. They've got a good threat in Ellis Harrison up front on the counter-attack. They're going to have some decent combative midfielders in the centre of the park who are probably going to try and break up play at every opportunity. Just everyone be patient because we are going to get chances because we've won nine in a row at home. We're a good enough side to create chances against Port Vale. But just don't, I just don't want people to expectations are so high now. People just have to be a bit reserved when they're turning up to Home Park and expecting us to just steamroll oppositions because that's just not going to happen. They're going to come yeah. down, they're going to make it hard for us. And it may well take 70, 75 minutes for us to break them down. But I have every confidence, like against Shrewsbury, that and similar in a similar way to Exeter, we had to break, we had to whittle them down eventually, didn't we? But our quality came through in the end, and um, we'll have we should have enough quality on the pitch to beat Port Vale. But I wouldn't be surprised if they made it incredibly tough for us.
2: Yeah, like like you say, um, it being tough that you know they haven't. They haven't lost to us in their last seven meetings. The best that we could muster was a 2-2 draw under John Sheridan in the FA Cup back in January 2014. So, um, yeah, no wins in, in seven against them. So that's that's fun. On that. This is just mainly a personal question, really. Why, why does it feel like we always have a horrendous record against the smaller, trickier sides? You, you, you pair us up with a with a Burton Albion or a Port Vale, we just are just dreadful.
3: It's important to remember that last season it was the complete opposite. We had a we had we had a more or less flawless record against the bottom half, and we. Um, struggled struggled when we played the top teams. I think we didn't, we didn't beat any of the top six, or I think, no, sorry, we beat one of them, we beat Sheffield Wednesday in September, mm-hmm. and, and that was it. So, it's important to remember that last season was the absolute polar opposite of that, but yeah, this season it does feel a, a little bit like that, but, but certainly away from home, we've, we've struggled against some teams who I think we probably should have had enough quality to, to beat, certainly the way we uh, lost that Burton game at the last minute, which is going to be annoying. But I'm sure that's been covered, you know, plenty of times on the podcast already. Um, I think, I think to an extent, if, if you're talking about over the years gone by, Aaron, it may be more of a just the sort of a maybe a selective memory thing. Like w- w- when we lose or when we fail to beat big, t- you know, successful teams, we don't really remember it being so frustrating because there's not the expectation there to beat them. But obviously, when we do struggle against, like you say, teams not doing so well. And let's let's be fair, Port they are not a team doing badly, but with the Burton example, yes. When we struggle against teams that aren't doing uh, so well, it sticks in the mind a bit more. It's more frustrating. It's it's more of a feeling of anger about it. So I, I think that's probably why. But I think with this season, it isn't really a thing of games against good teams versus games against weaker teams. It's more of a home form versus away form. Our away form is it's fine, but it's not really one of the best in the league. It's it, it it's it obviously it's in the top sort of third of teams in the league, but it's not really anything, you know, totally spectacular. We, we have we I think we're now I think four without a win away. I know one of them was the cup game which was Grimsby. We're now four without a win away, and and dropped a few points uh, with draws here and there, and obviously lost those two at the start of the season of Fleet and Charlton. So. Um, Our our away form actually hasn't been that amazing. Our home form is what's been completely, well, quite literally flawless. Nine wins out of nine. So I'm thinking that, well, yes, maybe there is that little bit of a habit this season developing of losing again, of dropping points and frustrating games. The one thing that's had in common is absolutely all of those frustrating games have been away from home. So I'm hoping at home park, we should be a different proposition. Former England international Chris Waddle has waded into the League One promotion
2: debate, suggesting that he doesn't think that Argyle will stay in the running for automatic promotion, suggesting that we will fall away because our squad is not big enough. We had the same question from Strictly Plymouth on Twitter. Yeah, basically, do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think we're going to be in and about the top two come
4: what now? Come great for chris waddle fantastic for him i forgot he was such an efl expert and appears on every efl show that's on the television uh look he, he might be right um he i don't know if he said anything like this last year but he would have been right if he said it then um he might be right he might be wrong um but i wasn't he being interviewed by a sheffield wednesday newspaper in said interview yeah i think he was so I doubt he's ever really going to come out and say, "Actually, I think Plymouth Argyle and Ipswich are going to run away with the league." He's obviously going to pamper to his audience he has presented in front of him. I'd love to know how many of our games Chris Waddle has watched. I don't look. No, I don't. No, he's he's a he's a pundit. He is on the radio, the television from time to time, and he had a good career as a player. Um, but that's his opinion. Everyone else has different opinions. I don't take it with much credence. Um, I know how good we are. I know how good some of the other sides of the division are, but yeah, if he thinks that we're going to fall away, then that's his prerogative. But um, it's not for me to disagree or agree with, but if you are asking me to sit on one side of the fence, I strongly disagree.
3: Um, I don't I don't disagree with Chris Rodler strongly, Joe, does. I don't think... We're a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. But I think when you look at the sheer depth of squad we have and and maybe lack of available spending power we have compared to those two sides, I think we are doing incredibly, incredibly well to be ahead of them as it is. And and let's get that straight. You know, I think Tumac is absolutely working miracles with with the budget he's got. And obviously having, you know, I think uh, almost certainly the best shot-stopping goalkeeper in the league. Certainly helps helps with that as well. I think some of the saves that Cooper's made have, have been absolutely fantastic um, to keep. You know, like the ones from Walton at the end of the Ipswich game and, and a couple of others. So, uh, are we punching above our weight? Yes, I think so. That's not the say. That's not to say that the rest of the team aren't good. It's that they're just not quite, I think, um, a, a, as good as some of the some of the other teams uh, near the top of the league. And nor would you expect them to be because they cost probably about a third of the price. So. I think, yes, we're going to find it tough. The, the key is going, to be, is going to be January. I think maybe what Waddle's not really considered is the fact that we could strengthen in January. Schumacher's made a lot of noise in the press about needing more depth. Um, and obviously, Schumacher just signed a new contract. So I'm kind of hoping that he wouldn't have signed that contract if he hadn't have been given some fairly positive reassurances about the spending power in January. So I'm absolutely ruling, ruling nothing out. If you held a gun to my head now and said, right, you know, for a million pounds, you're going to have to predict: do we come inside the top two or out of the top two? I would probably, at this time, say out of the top two. I really hope I'm wrong. I just think we're probably not going to quite, quite have enough to stay there. But we'll we'll see how that goes. And obviously, if, if January does come and we do sign some real depth in areas where we're lacking, like centre midfield and like centre back even, uh, and and maybe another wing back, I think if 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 those three players come in, if they're all three players of the quality we've signed already. Absolutely, absolutely. Why, why not? And obviously, you know, don't lose Cooper as well. If, if, if the other critical thing there, but if we have a good January in that regard, absolutely see us doing it. Um, if not, we're going to find it a lot harder. What I don't think will happen um, is I don't think we're going to drop out of the top six altogether like we did last year for two reasons. One, because it was a bit of a fluke in the eighty points last year gets us top six more often than not. And also, I just think we have a better squad than last year. I think we have those ex-factor players like Mumba and Azaz. I know is injured, but he'll, he will be back for the end of the season. We have those players who can unlock a team a little bit better. And can, that's why we're winning games against the likes of that we didn't really win um, games against the top-end teams last year. So I've probably waffled on a bit with that. But my, my long and short prediction is, will we drop out of the top six? I, I think almost certainly not. Will we drop out of the top two? I think that's much harder to say, and it will depend on January.
4: Before we go any further, um, and without giving him any more airtime than he needs or necessarily deserves on an Argyle-based podcast, I'm just reading what Chris Waddle said, where he said, um, the title has to be a realistic target. Wednesday are well-equipped squad-wise to get out of this league. Um, Plymouth don't have a big enough squad. If Ipswich or Plymouth get two or three injuries, they're scrapping around looking for players. Um, but these teams are not blessed with outstanding numbers of players. Whereas Wednesday have got a big squad. If Wednesday get one or two injuries, they have got plenty of play- they've got players to bring in. What he's telling us is that if Sheffield Wednesday suddenly lost David Stockdale, Josh Windass, Barry Bannon, Lee Gregory, that they just have many ready-made replacements to come in, do they? Because I distinctly remember them coming down here on a Tuesday night not too long ago, playing well for an hour taking off certainly Barry Bannon. I can't remember who the other one came off. I don't know whether yeah, Windad yeah, came, w- w- well. came off. came off. Yeah, well, Windass came off. And Sheffield Wednesday fell to pieces. Now, yeah. we went on to power through and thoroughly deserved that win that night. So I'm, I'm guessing all these players were injured at the time, Chris. So, um, you know, if you've got a squad of 500 players, that's going to get you out of the division because it's done, served you so well in recent years. Um, fair play to them, but if, as Sam said earlier, if we had the financial clout and spending power that Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday have got, along with several other teams in and around the playoffs, then we probably would go up as champions. But we are still, as much as a lot of people won't want to hear it, we are still punching above our weight where we are in the division. But let's bloody enjoy it while we're here. Yeah, let's stand, let's stand our ground when someone questions it. Which, which is what I think you've done, which is... I'm passionate about what Chris Waddle has said,
2: sorry. Another point not strictly Argyle-related, but the EFL have announced that League One is set for enhanced coverage with Wiccan Wanderers against Portsmouth on the 4th of December being chosen as the first ever EFL innovation game. A statement reads, The fixture live on Sky Sports will give supporters more behind-the-scenes access than ever before with on-pitch audio, dressing room footage... Exclusive interviews and club personnel on co-commentary duties alongside a closer look at the role of match officials both leading up to and on the match day. Uh, Wiccan manager Gareth Ainsworth and Portsmouth counterpart Danny Cowley will be on hand at half-time and during the second half to reflect on the game and to give a unique insight into a manager's
4: thoughts mid-match.
2: Joe, you said in the group chat that you saw this and you almost vomited. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you rant.
4: maybe I overreacted at the time Um, it was just my immediate reaction Um, I think I mean if any broadcasting company is going to give us new innovation when it comes to football coverage it's always going to be Sky Sports isn't it, they were the ones who brought in the HD then they brought in the 3D they had the, what was that fan zone thing when they used to have passionate partisan supporters commentating on games and making absolute fools of themselves on social media yeah so P- player uh, cam not, remember that player cam they're not they're not scared of the obscure are they um right let's break this down so uh, supporters more behind the scenes access than ever before i don't think any of us can complain at that on pitch audio so presumably that um the commentator will spend every other second when he's not listening to what's going on the pitch apologize for swearing Dressing room footage, I'm sure we're all going to be sat on the edge of our seats waiting for that to come on. Um, Exclusive interviews and club personnel on co-commentary. Well, I can't wait to hear what the Wickham chairman and the Portsmouth chief executive has to say about the game, because they're so well qualified to talk about it. Um, And a closer look at the role of match officials, both in the lead up to and on the match day. Fantastic. That's all we need now is for more Football League officials to feel like celebrities, because they're doing such a good job as referees as it is. I just think it's utter lunacy. Just bring us a televised game. Like, I don't know. And the other thing is, I don't know whether any of you saw this. I did a thing on Twitter back before the World Cup started that showed that Sky Sports, who hold the football league contract, are already showing something like 12 games during the three weeks of the World Cup being on. Now, I accept there's an, inter, uh, there's an FA Cup weekend in there where they can't show it because of the broadcast rates, what have you. This weekend coming, they have one televised football league game, and that is Wickham versus Portsmouth on Sunday. There is a host of games in League 1 and League 2 on Friday night, which, if I'm not mistaken, without looking at the League 2 fixture list, I think first place third or second place fourth or something, stick that on on the Friday night. Give people a a game to watch on the Friday night facilities. Then you've got, This lunacy on a Sunday lunchtime where... Who cares? Who actually cares about all this? The one... I think the one thing some of us would like to hear... I'd certainly love to hear it... Is a referee mic'd up like they have in rugby. I'd like to hear them talk about decisions. And have the conversations with the players like that. Don't care what they do in the lead up to a game. I don't care what a club personnel has got to talk on co-commentary about. Just... What... Why... Why are we having to go through all this? I just dressing room footage. Who cares? Do you, do you Who think, think this comes, comes as stretches a, the players do? Do you think this comes as a consequence of of
2: the way that we now consume football, i.e., in short, sharp snippets of of more highlights and random things, and you know, yeah, football Maybe, is becoming. But...
4: A lot of clubs obviously do more back behind-the-scenes content, don't they? Argo oh, do the inside Ooh. training thing. We've got tunnel cam, and I think we all agree that's brilliant. You know, we all enjoy watching that sort of thing. But Match day moments is, is fantastic, obviously. Um, yeah, but I know. think there's limits. There's limits, and what goes on behind a dressing room door should stay in the dressing room. Any professional footballer will tell you that. Whenever there's controversy, what happens in the changing room stays in the changing room. We don't care. If I'm in the terraces at halftime of a game, I don't care what's going on in that dressing room as long as if we're losing, Schumacher's giving them a rollicking. Like, the other point I'd like to make on this is, am I right in saying they're going to be talking to the managers either during the game or at halftime?
3: During the second half,
4: in fact, yeah. During the second half. So this happened, ITV did this with Gary Johnson in the Torquay Derby game at Plainmore. And... Gary Johnson had a headset on and John Champion was talking to him from the commentary box. You've got to be very careful when you're a broadcasting company and you're doing this. Because if something happens while he's wearing that headset, how can you be sure you're in control of what's going to come out through that headset? If there's a big tackle or there's a a melee ensue or a penalty is not given, is he going to suddenly... I just think we... Interviewing—it's that's an American thing. That is, I'm, I'm struggling to get my words out now. But that's an American thing because in American football, they talk to coaches just as the second half's coming, just as the second half's kicking off. Mm-hmm. The players run out of the tunnel and the game kicks off in the second half. There'll be a pipside reporter who'll interview the two head coaches as they're coming back out of the tunnel. That's where they've got this idea. The rest of it, for me personally, is nonsense. I just don't think it's needed. I think we all applaud innovation, but I think Sky may well just be overstepping the boundary a little bit.
3: Um, I'm I'm actually a little bit little bit more positive minded about it than that. I I agree on the stuff about interviewing during the half. I think that's um actually quite demeaning to the managers that that, that they even do that because I think there's no way can you imagine if any reporter tried to go go near you know in the day anyone of like Alex Ferguson or Jose Mourinho or even Alex, you know if they tried to go near a Pep Guardiola or Jürgen Klopp during the game to bash them for their opinions. They'd probably get two words, second of which would be off. So I don't think you, know, they, you should really be able to do that to a lower league manager like, like they're not worthy of the same um, respect in that regard. As to, as to the they've staff, very quickly, you
4: know, very quickly, Sam, sorry, just jumping in. On that point, they've been very careful on what game they've chosen here, haven't they, in that respect. They've gone with Danny, uh, Danny Cowley and Gareth Ainsworth knowing that they're unlikely to get that. Sort of, yeah. Journey. Well, they're two, they're, they're
3: two managers who, who love talking to the media, you know, even more than they love looking in the mirror, aren't they? Uh, exactly. So, you know, you can see why they've picked that game for sure. Um, they certainly would have done it for Derek Adams, wouldn't they? <laughs> but yeah, going back, to, going back to the other stuff, I, I'm not too, I'm not against I think, yeah, what Aaron said is a good point, does come back to how we consume football to an extent, but also really just how we consume. Sports media. These slippers are popular, people do like them. I don't know if any have either of you have watched the All or Nothing Arsenal series. I thought that was absolutely fantastic, and there was some genuinely interesting and insightful dressing room footage from there. Was it probably a little bit sanitized compared to what was really said in terms of what made the cut? Probably, yes. You know, did did, did Arsenal probably did only really gave away stuff that they wanted to give away to some extent, but I, I think ultimately it was insightful. And, and look, if, if that then makes people tune back in and watch another lower league game in the future because they've got that little bit more interest in who the players are, who the coaches are, what kind of stuff goes on, I think I think that's not a bad thing. I I, I, I think it's worth a trial. It is the first ever game. I think it it, it is a, it is only a trial. Maybe there aren't there are some people who would not be interested in it, but I also think there are some people who would be, and that's why shows like Oh Nothing and it's why shows like Drive to Survive for the Formula One fans amongst us are so popular because they go behind the scenes and they do they do have insights with the officials and with the with the players and well, well with the drivers in the F1 case that you wouldn't get otherwise. But I, I think it's worth a try. I'm open-minded. I'm gonna will I be watching it? Probably not. I'll probably rather watch the World Cup instead, or, or you know, do something else. But. I think it's worth trying, and I think it's worth seeing how people re- re- react to it. If people think it's a little rubbish, um, certainly no point continuing with it. But you know what? If people like it and it gets people into the game, I'm certainly open-minded to it. Uh, apart from the interview managers, you know, I think that, that's I think a bit demeaning. But other than that, I think it's worth a try. So I think, I think that just leads us on to the season so far. <laughs> Basically,
2: as obviously we've had no game on Saturday, and obviously Tuesday's game against Charlton Athletic doesn't really count. Whipped together some short, sharp questions for you both about the season so far.
4: Short, sharp answers.
2: If, if you'd like. I'll try my best. Biggest lesson
3: learned from last season. Find better players. It sounds a bit of a cliche, but Mumba and his dad have been the difference in so many games. Just, just so better attacking players who have the extractor, who can unlock
4: teams with as well taking points off the teams around us at the top end of the table. I think we all agree last year we were pretty poor in that respect. I think it was something like six points out of a possible 36. This year, I think we're already in the 20s in that regard. Um, Yeah, we just had to be more clinical and ruthless against the teams around us. And we have been.
2: Nice. For me, it was exactly that, beating the big boys, um, that and learning how to rattle the fan bases of former Premier League clubs with ease. Highlight or game of the season.
4: Exeter 4-2, from start to finish, the atmosphere, the occasion, under lights, 8 o'clock kickoff in front of the nation, the way the game played out, the way it was played, the pace of the game, the quality of the match, I just thought it had everything, ticked every box, the way the game ended for us with the stunner from Mumba and then Hardy putting the cherry on top, yeah, when you beat your rivals as convincingly as that, it has to be that for me.
3: Um well the the two answers almost everyone would give would be X the game and the Derby game. I've been to most of the games this season, annoyingly, those are the two that I missed. Exeter I was working uh, and Derby, I was in bed Derby, I was in bed with shingles, so we couldn't go to either of them, annoyingly. So out of the games I've been to, it would be the Wickham game. Um beating them um finally after many, many miserable games against them felt absolutely fantastic. We all looked at the team and thought Schumacher had, you know, lost his marbles at two o'clock, but the selection he went for proved absolutely justified and we, we deservedly, well, you know, relying on a couple of Cooper things, but we, we did win the game and, and ultimately we won the game in, in part largely due to the, the team that was picked and it was a great vindication, great to finally come away from Wickham feeling happy, should have be
2: that one. Agreed. For me, it's the, uh, the, the the 3-2 win at Derby, obviously. The fact that, we, we mentioned it in a previous pod about how we, you know, coming back from behind just never happened and now we've done it what five times this season? So yeah, super Sam Cosgrove at the double has to be that game for me. Incredible atmosphere at Pride Park uh, From both sets really. Onto worst
3: game of the season. I well, think there's, I, think I there's, two, there's definitely two obvious answers. Yeah, I didn't go to the Charlton game. Um, obviously, there's the Grimsby game, but that that was a bit of a you no, know, bit of a fluky game, wasn't it? And also, it was a, it, it was the FA Cup. Obviously, I want to see it do well in the FA Cup, but I came away from that game annoyed for about an hour. And then, like, an hour later, I was like, yeah, whatever. It, 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 it was a fluke. Um, in terms of ones that actually stuck in, I, I stayed on being stayed being annoyed at for uh, the whole day and a bit longer. Where the two last equalised at Pompey and at Burton because they were both such cheap goals to concede. Pompey won. Galloway gets sent off, leaves us a man short, defending a long throw in Brilliant, you know, uh, with, with, with two, two points down the drain. Um Burton just because we, we were we were so much better than them, we were so so in control. Uh, we, don't, we we you know we, we, we get we get unfortunately a free kick not given our way, which I think probably should have been, and we, we just don't switch on and don't defend the, the, the drop ball. Um, they just had that little bit more energy and a bit more awareness at the end. And that's mm. that's four points thrown away and even though they weren't losses even they, they both felt like losses and ultimately that those four points could well prove the difference between second and third at the end of the season. And if they are, I'll be even more annoyed about it than I am now. So I'm going to go for Pompey and Burton. Probably Pompey hurt the more of the two, just because I really, really wanted to finally win at Fratton Park, but not to me. So, yeah, the Pompey
4: game. Uh, I see all of the above. And although it was early in the season, and there is perhaps mitigation in that respect, I raise you Fleetwood away. Mm. um, Where... Here we are praising our record against teams at the top and how um, dominant we've been in respect to those results. There is a game where, for a large part, we felt we had complete control of, only to switch off and concede a late winner, um, a sloppy late winner as well. That's a, let's be fair. Um, we didn't learn a lesson from the Tuesday night in February or March, whenever it was, we went up there and conceded two in two minutes to lose that game or draw that game. Um, But this time we did lose. We did lose it. And yeah, for me, I think that's the result as weird as it sounds, given we've been beaten five, one twice this season. um, The Fleetwood game is the one that irritates me the most because that is a game that we shouldn't be losing.
2: For me, it's obviously the Charlton five-one. Just another place we don't turn up at the Valley. Um, but maybe on a personal level, it was my nephew's first away game. Never seen excitement on a kid's face like it going in, and to play like that, he he won't forget it in a hurry. So he
4: had the wonderful. full Argyle experience. That's one positive, I suppose.
2: Moving on to goal of the season.
4: Ooh. Goal of the season. Um... Uh, This is difficult, isn't it? Because if you're just going for an out-and-out goal or something that carried a lot of meaning, um, I am going to choose one purely for what it meant and the effect it had and for the ability of the strike. And I am going for Bali Mumba against Exeter. Um, It turns the game around completely and you should not be able to do that in a derby game. You should not have that amount of time on the ball. And to hit a strike so cleanly that gives the defenders and the keeper no chance, um, for me, Barley Mumba against Exeter.
3: I think that's a great shout from Joe. That's probably my number two. I'm going to raise it with the Finna hand opener at Rovers. And I think the thing that that has mm. yeah. over the Mumba goal is, I think, almost what you said. You should not be able to do that in a derby. Whilst it was at this end, it was an absolutely incredible strike. But he, he yeah. had the time and had the room to to pick his spot. The Exeter players were standing off. There was a there was a very clear gap um, for him to aim through, uh, in, in, you know, um, between the defender and, and the post. There was a very clear gap from the strike of what he did. And I'm not saying it isn't an absolutely incredible goal, because it really was. But there were things Exeter could have done that could and probably would have stopped that goal. I don't think there was any way of stopping that as Dad's goal from the angle... Uh, from, from the way his body w- w- was shaped nobody expected him to shoot from there he had no right to shoot from there and he did and he scored and I think that advanced goal is probably the best one I could remember since that famous Graham Carey goal at Blackpool um, in, in my opinion I, maybe the one that Danny Bear scored against Cheltenham last season is up there but that advanced goal I, I think that, that's a goal you see maybe once a season at, at most, it was just such an incredible effort, I think it Trump even the member goal for me
2: just to be different, I'm going to go for the Whitaker goal against Ipswich just because being in, again, personal opinion, being in a pub in Norwich, the six people that were in at that, that time of the morning, they all went mad with me. You know, um, we'll go with that They scored one. some good ones this year. We did, we did poll this on Twitter as well. Uh, Mumba came out top with 48%. Azaz against Rovers got 35% in second. Whitakers came in third with 8.9. Randall's against Rovers, the same game, 7.3. Yeah. And obviously it it seems a bit harsh on Randall, really, because you know he scored against Lincoln and Grimsby. Obviously, that one will be forgotten, you know, from outside the box. And he he's not even going to get a look in, to be honest, unless he scores some incredible worldie between now and the end of the season. Some some quick stats that I saw on Twitter. Twenty-two out of thirty-nine of our league goals have come from low knees. That's 56%. Uh, 17 out of 32 assists have come from low knees. And 11 out of the 18 Man of the Match awards have been won by low knees, 61%. So, they're quite high. So, on that basis, who is your signing
3: of the season so far? Mumbach just gives us that, that bit more to open teams up. Like I said, he, he, I know that you said the main lesson you've learned is beating big teams. I'd argue, whilst that's true, um, Mumba's the reason why we're beating more big teams. He, 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 his incredible energy is matched only by his technical ability, his ability to cross, uh, to, to pass, and of course to shoot. Um, they're, they're, they're all pretty fantastic. I think he's um, even better than the Zavs because I think the Zavs maybe has a bit more technical ability He's not quite as quite as consistent in, in his application as Mum, but there are some games where he goes quiet I think he's he's just an absolutely brilliant player and I think we're very very lucky to have him playing for us and and we, you know we we'd better go up if we want to keep him and we better hope Norwich go up too because I don't think Norwich um will want him in league one and I, and I think if they stay down they will probably want to try him out in the champ in the championship so I think we better hope that A, they go into the Premier League and B we go up otherwise we're not keeping him
4: I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to give you a really facetious one, and I'm going to give you a serious one. For me, signing of the season is Stephen Schumacher, um, agreeing mm. the new contract. Um, that's my quirky answer. Um, on the pitch, Finizaz, Um for almost similar reasons to what Sam's given to Mumba. Energy, work rate, ability, quality, composure... He's he's got it all. The goal at Bristol Rovers summed him up. Um, Who knows what might have happened that night against Shrewsbury had he not picked up the injury. Um, Obviously, we missed him then against Exeter. Yeah, I, I just think he's light years above anything that I've seen in that sort of position in this division. I think we probably all accept that Barry Bannon is probably the best um championship league one midfielder. Um I championship blow mugging off league one sides, but um yeah, yeah. I think Finazaz Finazaz is just quality. Um and if I could break into Simon Hallett's bank account and just steal some digits just for one transfer it would probably be for him.
2: Yeah, completely agree with all of that. It's it's as for me just Proof is in his absence really, like since he's been out, like you said, since the uh, Shrewsbury game,
4: we just you know, we've we've lacked that creative outlet that he's that he's given us and We were unfortunate to lose him and Mayor at the same time though, weren't we? Yeah. We might exactly, have got but, away with it had we Azaz, had one available, but
2: as is like everything that Mayor promised to be when he came in, right? Like
4: Yeah Yeah, has... I agree. Oh, but incredible! Very quickly, if, if, without taking us off a tangent, quickly because I know you say quick fire questions and answers. Um, Danny Mayer is twice the player under Stephen Schumacher than he ever was under Ryan Lowe. Um, uh, yeah, the shackles have been freed. The shackles have been freed from him under Lowe. He had to stay out on the left hand side. Schumacher has just given him so much more freedom. He can play wherever he wants in front of the opposition defence. Twice the player under Schumacher, and we are starting to see what Lowe told us he had. But hopefully we get the same Danny Mayer back after his injury.
2: Player of the season.
4: Oh, there's a couple worthy of shout. Randall, Niall Ennis, I think, is really starting to show his quality this year in a variety of positions. Um, But I think we're foolhardy if we say anything other than Michael Cooper. Um, He's kept us in games even when we have been in control. Um, He's pulled off some absolutely unbelievable saves um, it is a gift that we are very fortunate to have and he is Plymouth Argos' most valuable asset let's look on it with pride for the rest of his career wherever he goes let's enjoy every minute that he continues to wear an Argo shirt I hope it's for another 15-16 years but I'm realistic in the fact that we're sat on an absolute gold mine with him Um But look, what a player. Best goalkeeper in League One, head and shoulders above all else. And I am loving him as our number one. I agree with pretty much everything Joe just said. The only thing I disagree is he's our biggest
3: asset. I think Stephen Schumacher is, but I think he's our biggest asset on the playing side. Um, I think he is—he's a, a fantastic, fantastic keeper, and I think he he he, he like that. A, a barring Schumacher, is the is the primary reason we're top of the league. Not to denigrate the rest of the squad, like I said, Mumba's been great, Asans has been great, uh, edison has been very good, uh, Randall's been good. Um, but I think all of those sort of pairings, comparison compared to how many points Cooper's gained us, I think last season. If I'm being honest, in terms of the, the the outfield team, et cetera, we were kind of an upper mid table team who got dragged up to the version of the playoffs by Cooper's brilliance. I think this season, we're a, we're a version of the playoffs team who are being dragged to top of the league by Cooper's brilliance. So I think whatever tier of team we're in, Cooper drags us up to the next year because he just makes so many saves that you wouldn't expect him to make. Like I said, the Walton one, there was one in the Bolton game earlier in the season, there was, there was one at Wickham, an incredibly quick reaction save. These are all points that I think if we have, and obviously, you know, you could say, well, if we had, given we did Cooper, we'd have another keeper. You know, if we had uh, an average level League One keeper who saves about what you'd expect him to save, would we be top of the league? No, I think we'd be round about the playoffs, bottom, middle, middle to bottom of the playoffs. Um, fifth sixth, that kind of area. He's just absolutely incredible. He, he could make a heck of a lot of money. I still think even as good as he is, there are some aspects to his game, such as some of his distribution at times, that um, maybe are the reason he's still here, maybe the reason Premier League clubs haven't come in for him, uh, because he could do with a little bit more improvement in those areas. But yeah, certainly, certainly for us and for the level we're in, and it, it Certainly, he's a shop shopping keeper. He is absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And uh, I just hope we at least get the rest of this season out with him and, and, and hopefully maybe even more.
2: Quick fire then, really quick. How much do you accept? Should a, should a Premier League club come in?
3: I think it depends on what Cooper himself is saying about a contract because he's out of contract in 18 months' time. If we follow the same pattern that we did with Camera, we're going to put a contract on the table for him very soon. And if he then doesn't sign that like camera didn't, I assume we're going to try and move him on in the summer, again, like we did with camera. so assuming it conforms to that pattern, because be realistic, if you're Cooper, I know I said that, you know, there, he's not the finished article yet, but realistically, there are going to be clubs looking at him, there are going to be bits coming into him, if you're Cooper, being completely bluntly honest about it, why do you sign that contract? Because all that contract does is make you harder to sell, realistically. So, in terms of what, what, would, I, what would I like to get to him, because of what an quality player he is, you know, I think I'm thinking, you know, we, you know, maybe what what, what, did MK get for Twine? Four million. I think we could get, you know, five, five, six million to him on, on that similar basis. But I think it's different because I think Twine had longer left on his contracts and you know, he was a little bit younger. So if Cooper tells us that unfortunately, as he's got every right to, by the way, that wouldn't be a bad thing to them. But if he tells us, as he's got every right to, that he has no inclination to sign a new contract, I think on that basis we have to be a bit realistic, and I think it's going to be a, it's, I think it's going to be about the about the two to three million mark, uh, really probably probably more like two, just because that clubs will know that if if we don't accept that bid, he could walk away from us uh, a year from now for absolutely nothing. So obviously going up will help. Going up will give us a bit more leverage because we'll have more money. But if we if we don't get promotion. I think it's going to be around the two, two and a half
4: million mark.
2: If that's your short answer, I'd hate to hear your long answer.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um,
4: (laughs) I don't claim to have any inside intel on Michael Cooper's thought process in any of this or claim to know him as a person or anything like that. Um, What I will say is, I think if Plymouth Argo were to offer Michael Cooper another 12 month extension, to secure their own financial position whilst also aiming to secure the best possible deal with Michael Cooper, I don't think we really have any worries about him signing that for those factors. I think Plymouth Argyle means a lot, without falling into the trap that loyalty exists in football, because I think we've seen nine times out of ten it doesn't. I think this case is a little bit different. Um, Plymouth Argyle means an awful lot to Michael Cooper. Um, I think he is obviously going to do what's right for him, but he knows that when it comes down to it, the football club is also going to do what's right for him because of what the two mean to one another. Um, So I don't think we're going to be in a similar, we're going to be in a situation where we offer a contract and Cooper stalls on it. I think those are conversations that are going to need to be had Uh, in return, in regards to the original question about a price tag, uh, I wouldn't accept anything under the 50 million mark. Um, but I'm only joking. A uh, couple of million, probably. and uh, Maybe not all up front. But there will be many, many, many different uh, clauses to the transfer because Simon Hallett is an incredibly successful investment uh, businessman. And he will realise that this is a business deal and he will get what is right for his club, whilst also on a personal level, given the respect between the hierarchy and Michael Cooper and vice versa, they will be doing what's right for the player.
3: I hope you're right. I really do. I I think if he tries an extension to help give Argala a a better deal, then then he's an absolutely fantastic guy. And I'd absolutely love it if he did that. I think he's going to take the advice of his agent who will tell him not to do that. But I really hope you're right.
2: I think for me, he goes to a, a potentially like a newly promoted, ideally for us, it would be perfect if he went to Norwich, right? Like, we say, right, mm, two, yeah. and half, two and a half million plus Mumba and you can loan it back if you want, not a problem. Flip that around by
4: saying two and a half million to Aston Villa plus Azaz. Well Exactly
2: yeah. exactly that, right? There is talk of, of um, Martinez going to Atletico, but you know, that's Twitter talk. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure if there's any As far as we're concerned, related. at the
4: end of the day, Michael Cooper is a Premier Largo goalkeeper for the next eighteen months, so we don't have anything to worry about. Very true. So back to the quick fire
2: questions. The disappointment of the season.
4: What on the pitch or off the pitch?
2: Whatever you like. Well, whilst you, whilst you have a, a thing, I'll one. do mine.
4: I think. Yeah, a difficult uh, one.
2: For me, it's 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 hard because it's such a good season. We're doing you know top of the league. Um, you know, it's one of our best seasons for a long while. But I think I think if I had to pick one, it would be like a Matt Butcher. You know, he's not been that bad, but like. I was expecting him to come in and like you know grasp a first team place, play every game, him and Houghton basically force Randall out of the team, and like I didn't expect Randall to be getting as much game time as he is. Obviously, you know it's for the better, but I've only ever really noticed him if he's playing badly. But I think maybe that's just a CDM thing. But like you know, he's just been off the pace a few times. You know, if I had to pick one, it's 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 a Matt Butcher or a. Or is James Bolton still here? Maybe James
3: Bolton. But I, I, you know. I agree on Butcher. I think he's been fine. I don't think he's, he's been as good as we'd have liked. Um, a player who I think actually, well, it's not been bad. Hasn't been quite it's really itself of last season before his injuries. Actually, Brendan Galloway. I think he has been okay. Ooh. But I think he's he's made he's not been the, quite the imperious, uh, all-dominating, uh, swashbuckling ball-playing force that he was. Before he got injured, I think he possibly still playing a bit within himself, possibly making a bit too many mistakes, and obviously he did. He was probably the most culpable for those two points thrown away at Pompey. So I'm not saying he's played badly. I'm saying he's fine. If he if he the same Galloway that we saw of the similar phases play last season, I would say not.
4: I will tell you what, that's I'd like to have a podcast on that alone. Um, Maybe. I have thought of one, and it's a little bit um, silly, but I, our efforts in cup competitions, really. We, I can't even remember the league. What was the league? Peterborough at home, wasn't it? Yeah, two-dilled defeat. Dis- disappointing performance. Uh, the fact that we're still going in the pepperoni pizza shield thing, um, and the fact that we got beat by a mid-table league two-side in the FA Cup. I just think, as a general... Cup performances from what I expect, from what I want as a supporter of Plymouth Argyle, from my own personal point of view, I'd much prefer a cup run in either the League Cup or the FA Cup, preferably the FA Cup, um, over the Margarita Trophy. Um, So the fact our cup performances is the disappointment of the year.
2: I think the fact that we're like scratching around for disappointments is a good thing anyway. And I'll just, I'm going to roll these two into one. So expectations for January. And then expectations for the season?
4: Uh, Expectations for January. Sign two or three quality players to add squad depth. If a deal is going to be had for Michael Cooper in January, which I doubt if I'm honest, um, but I'd just like it to be the best one for both Cooper personally and Argyle as a club, if that even exists in transfers. And expectations for the rest of the season. Finish as a bare minimum in the top six. If I was being honest, a bare minimum would be third place and then get promoted, preferably not via the playoffs because I don't want to go through that again and preferably not at home against Burton at the end of April because I've got a family wedding and I can't go to the game. So if we could do it either side of that game, that would be really, really handy.
3: <laughs> um, keep Cooper, sign two or three, really quality additions in the areas we most need them. And go up. Um, like I don't think we would need to worry about dropping out of the top six. I think it would it would take quite a almighty collapse for that to happen. I think dropping out of the top two is very plausible, as I said earlier, because of squad depth. If we can stay in the top two, fantastic. And well, if we really must fall into the playoffs, then let's go and win them, I guess. <laughs> let's go, let's go. Let's have two wins at Wembley and one season with that and the, that and the Pizza Cup, who you knows.
2: Nice. Before we see out the end of the pod, just a quick glance over the women's team who are through to the next round of the FA Cup after beating Swindon Town 3-0 at the county ground. Uh, the first two goals came from summer signing Charlotte Whitmore and finished off by Beth Ireland. The, uh, the next round sees, sees them go up against Liscard Athletic, who let's, let's hope we play them because we put 11 past them in pre-season. Or Oxford United away from home. 2,100 were in attendance at Home Park for their recent game against Ipswich Town. And I believe they're looking to hold some more games uh, at Home Park this season with Cheltenham Town on the 8th of January being touted. That one is actually very winnable opposed to uh, any game against Ipswich.
4: I think, to be fair, the club in recent years have done some absolutely commendable work in bringing the uh, women's club under the same umbrella. Um, and making it am I right in saying it's now a professional outfit or a relatively professional outfit in terms of the other teams around them? No, it's still Um, semi semi pro. Is it still semi pro? And and we can can,
2: Um, obviously we can we can commend the club under Hallett, but before Hallett, they they got rid of
4: them, yeah. No, that's what that's what I'm saying. Since since Hallett, (coughs) and um, I think Jane has obviously been a a pretty strong driving force behind it, and I know they whenever they're both in the country, they always. Um, Simon and Jane both go to the games. Um Yeah. So I think the club are making really good steps in that regard. I think it's great to see a couple thousand get out to home and park. Of course, the club, Ryan Perks, the manager in the squad, will obviously love more. Um But then you've got to look at last year, didn't uh, one of the young uh, keepers went off to Chelsea, didn't they? Um
2: Yeah, Poppy went, went off the train. to Chelsea.
4: With Chelsea. Yeah. Um, so that that's a, that's a big thing that that Chelsea have seen somebody in our women's uh, women set up. In regards to the youth team, I think it's gonna be difficult. I wonder whether the uh, expansion down at Ernie settle might have something to do with this in the future. Um, whether games being played down there might attract more people. Whether it will attract people to go to more youth team games um, because. As far as I know, I might be wrong aren't youth team games sort of like a closed shop? Are you able to get in to watch them? yeah the I FA think youth Cup's always played at home park isn't it yeah
2: exactly I, think, uh, I know I know previous years we've had like free tickets I remember watching our goal youth play against Exeter years ago I couldn't tell you what happened or who scored or who played but um, that seemed to be free or a pound or something
4: right Friday, Friday night's academy night isn't it is it the academy yeah I think the academy can bring along uh, they've all got anyone who's in the, uh, I might be wrong. I'm just clutching a story off the top of my head now, but I'm sure it's Academy night where players and families from the Academy have all been given tickets or allocated a certain number of tickets to come along to the game. Yeah, that's correct. Um, which is to help boost the attendance. So they're, they're doing that. We obviously have the DJM day as well, don't we, which I'm expecting in the new year. Um, so there's pl- there is plenty being done, but I think we, uh, what, needs to happen and to make it bigger or expand it I, I'm not the man qualified to answer that
2: it's just the the amount of talent that we, we seem to be breeding now is, is, is brilliant both in men's women's you know everything just seems to be the the whole community trust seems to be on and up which is brilliant to see uh, I think we'll call it a day there thanks for joining me and I'll see you again next week look forward to it
3: thank you and yeah I hope you all enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it it'd be great to be back and goodbye cheers